the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. One of our great tourist attractions, if you can call it that, is the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C. The wall, where it's profoundly eloquent. You, you cannot come to that wall without crying. It is impossible. Because there is name after name after name of the 58,000 Americans who gave their lives fighting in uh, the Vietnam War over the course of really what was almost 15 years. It was a long, long struggle, 58,000 people dead. Andrew Sullivan makes the point that in one year alone, not in all of those years of involvement in Vietnam, in one year alone we have 66,000 Americans who have died in a different kind of struggle. The struggle with addiction, opioid addiction. Andrew Sullivan has a terrific new piece. Uh, It is called The Poison We Pick, and it's about opioid addiction and the difficulties we face. The president of the United States today spoke to an opioid summit that the White House has rightly and appropriately uh, convened. Andrew, thanks very much for joining us on what I know must be a very, very busy day for you. No, it's always a pleasure, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. The, the, the scale, the sheer scale of the suffering that you write about in your piece, which actually gives a, um, uh, some perspective on the history of this entire addiction, this entire American curse. One, one paragraph leaped out at me. You write, when we see the addicted stumbling around like drunk ghosts, or collapsed on sidewalks, or in restrooms, their faces pale, their skin riddled with infection, their eyes dead to the world, we often see only misery. What we do not see is what they see. In those moments, they feel beyond gravity, entranced away from pain and sadness. The very essence of the appeal of opioids, of oxycodone, and so many of the others is what exactly, Andrew Sullivan? It's an escape from pain. I mean, that's what this drug at its essence really is. It's a pain killer. And that makes it different than other drugs, which might make you energetic or, or uh, aggressive or, or, or positive. This is a drug people take because they're miserable and they want somehow not to tackle that or to engage life more fully or to do something that might actually provoke and promote their activity. But they do it to drop out, to disappear, to give up, to surrender. And they do it partly because the experience of opium or opioids in various degrees has always been, I mean, since the beginning of human civilization, an incredibly attractive, seductive form of intense pleasure, 
Um, you can you can see Homer marveling at it. You see it in ancient Greece. You see it in Egypt. You see it in Neolithic remains, six thousand years ago. This this substance, this little, this comes out of a little poppy uh, flower, has proliferated everywhere, and it's and it's always had an attraction for human beings. And yet, at the same time, from the very beginning, from the ancient Greeks themselves, they understood that this was also terribly dangerous that the pleasure it gives you makes you indifferent to life and death even, that it's, that it's one of the most potent substances humans have ever come across, the most tempting. And at this point in human history, our minds, our brains have been able to finesse it, to process it, to actually create more and more intense and concentrated forms of it that at this point are killing tens of thousands of people, young middle-aged, old, um, from different racial backgrounds, but primarily right now in the heartland of this country, the very heart of it. Uh, and I think those of us who live on the coasts or live among cultural elites or multicultural big cities care about these people because we don't know many of them. And in the same way that in some ways people ignored AIDS when it started, the deaths from AIDS, because these people were other, these people were not part of our lives. These people are also doing things you disapprove of, like shooting themselves up or, or having sex with too many people. We just push it out of our minds. But these are our fellow citizens. They're our fellow human beings. What's happening to them is also happening to their families and their communities in a way that is, I think, more devastating than any previous drug epidemic in the history of this country. I think and that's incontestably That's incontestably Sorry. true that this is the most serious drug epidemic I think that we have we have ever ever had. Uh, I want to get to what is to be done in just a moment. 1-800-955-1776 our phone number by the way. Uh, Andrew, you write about this so well. Have you had any experience yourself with opioids? No. Well, I've, I, well, I've occasionally had uh, around the Percocet after a, a tooth extraction um, or a, a broken elbow. But um, like, like the vast majority of people that have opioid experiences, it, I didn't become addicted. It lasted for a short amount of time. It, it was extremely helpful in my pain. Right. I, I, um, I, I asked you because I, I had... Uh, for when I was recovering from cancer and I had cancer treatment, throat cancer, stage three. And uh, I was prescribed a fentanyl, which is a mm -hmm. very, very dangerous drug, and uh, um, oxycodone, and which are two of the biggest problems in terms of opioid addiction. And it scared me uh, a lot. I, I never took my full prescribed dose because I was terrified of getting addicted. And um, I, I, the uh, one point that I would take you on on is I, I don't uh -huh. I don't think that any Americans are so isolated in some kind of elitist bubble that we don't know. Uh, I, I know people who have battled opioid addiction. There are people in talk mm -hmm. radio who have had opioid mm -hmm. addiction very publicly. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's become ubiquitous when you, when you have 66,000 people dying every year, which is more than the total number of murders and suicides and traffic accidents combined, right? Yeah, 
it's 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 why this country alone of all developed countries is seeing its actual lifespan reduced three years in a row for white people in America and two years for everybody in America. So what do we do about it, Andrew? Well, (laughs) it's very complicated at this point, and and it's rather difficult at this point in the process to try and go back and reverse it. I think you can do some practical things. You can make sure that replacements for heroin and fentanyl are available to people. In other words, you can get them on uh, something like buprenorphine um, and uh, methadone and that those methods. And they're not being fully funded enough to get people to ease their, to, to simulate what happens with heroin without the, the severe consequences. You can distribute more Naxalone, which is the, which is the uh, antidote, so that when people see uh, people collapsing, and by the way, one of the places this is happening is public libraries everywhere, as a story in the New York Times pointed out today. Uh, and you can quickly, anybody can quickly put this nasal spray into them, and they will revive. Yeah, it, it can um, be a life-saving uh, drug. Uh, and, oh, yes. And, and again, and you don't get uh, addicted to Naxalone, right? No. No, that's, that, that doesn't happen. You, you don't get addicted as such to methadone or to buprenorphine in the sense that we do with heroin. However, the trouble is that when, once people have gotten to the point where they're addicted to heroin, especially heroin laced with fentanyl, it's very hard to persuade them to trade that feeling for any other feeling. Uh, and it's very hard to reach them. You offer them methadone, they don't really want it. Uh, and the places that have actually reduced death significantly, uh, which, which is in Vancouver in Canada and uh, Portugal in Europe uh, in particular, and Switzerland, have actually opened up safe injection heroin sites so that the, they, 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 they allow people to actually continue with their heroin use but in a way that is controlled and keeps them alive. Uh, Andrew, you, you subtitle the piece, or the subheading they use is, This Nation Pioneered Modern Life. Now epic numbers of Americans are killing themselves with opioids to escape it. Uh, the question I would put to you is, is why now? And particularly at this given moment in, in the last year, a lot of Americans have um, seen their viewpoint of the world brighten somewhat as the economy has brightened. There are larger numbers of people who think the nation is actually on the right course. Uh, there are reasons to think the unemployment is down, uh, people are saving again, things seem to be getting better. Why, why has the opioid crisis not abated at all but only intensified? I think because that all may be the case, but the rapid pace of economic and technological change may have generated jobs, but the jobs don't have the same meaning or purpose that they used to have, especially among people without college degrees who used to have many more choices, better options, better pay, and jobs. Uh, for example, think of the local, uh, the local butcher or the local baker or the local – now everybody just simply works at Walmart. Think of all the small businesses that have disappeared because of Amazon. Think of the way we also communicate with each other increasingly, which is virtually, not physically. So we're more isolated. 
we see higher numbers and higher numbers of single-person households. We've seen a collapse of the traditional family. And childhood trauma is one of the biggest correlations with adult drug addiction. And I think we've seen a lack and a loss of spirituality and religion that brings people together in community, as opposed to rather abstract, individualized uh, religion. It's, it's, it's not true to say this is due to economics, in, in, in the sense that you can look, for example, at other Western nations that have had much worse times in the last decade or two than the U.S. They have nothing like the epidemic that we have. Now, part of it is also, uh, and part of it is also, I think, social trauma of change. I mean, you look back in history, and the two other big epidemics that we see was one was in England at the turn of the Industrial Revolution, when people were taken out of their rural homes and put into big cities and big factories without the traditions and habits of life. And that was a huge opioid, opium addiction. You see it also in this country, particularly during and after the Civil War. The whole later 19th century, opium was ubiquitous. It was easier to get an opium tincture in 1870 than to get a cigarette in 1970 in this country. So it was also responding to the huge loss of life, the grief, and of course the physical pain. Uh, I think you have to look at widespread social and cultural trauma, um, a loss of meaning, a collapse of religion, a collapse of the family, and a collapse of meaningful work that has led people into this wilderness of despair. Um, so that begs the question, and the president was trying to get at this a little bit earlier today. What what would you recommend if, if President Trump were smart enough to pick up the telephone and say, Andrew Sullivan, you've written about this this issue, you've researched it, the history of it, the context for it. Uh, what where should I lead the country to help reduce this pain and suffering? What would well, you tell I, the president? Here's what I would tell the president. There's some things you cannot do, actually. Um, but I think. Uh, uh, the critical things, as I said before, is distributing the right drugs and antidotes that can wean people off this. But I also honestly think that prohibition and the harsh enforcement of these laws uh, against this use has pushed a lot of people into the underground in ways that they need to be brought out of to treat them and to bring them back into the fold of the human family. Um, telling people their coal jobs are coming back is just a delusion. It's not, it's not a reality. Be honest with people. He's a president um, that today was speaking uh, about reinstituting the death penalty for uh, following the course of the Philippines and dealing with drug dealers and other countries. I take it you well, think that would be a negative idea. Well, since most of the drug dealers in this particular crisis were simply family members, uh, then you would be executing a hell of a lot of people. Um, what happened is, I mean, what you can do is cut down a, a somewhat on prescribing these drugs. I mean, it was insane, the volume of drugs that were pummeled and, 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 and channeled through, uh, through the system. I mean, 780 million oxycodone pills in West Virginia over six years for a population of 1.8 million is simply insane. Uh, so that has to be done at the top. The, the drug companies need to be more careful. On the other hand, if you simply cut off the supply of these pills, people will go without 
therapy, counseling, and support, people will go to the black market, start doing, uh, start doing heroin, and then possibly fentanyl. And fentanyl is crucial here. It's, it's, it's a new thing. It's, it's growing very fast and very quickly, and it's responsible for most of the overdoses. I've, I've understood this, and but it's not people. When I was prescribed fentanyl, it was through a fentanyl patch. You put the patch yes. on on your upper arm, uh, yes. but that th- that's not what is causing these overdoses. What's causing the overdoses is they grind it up and smoke it or swallow it. What? No, they they um, they smoke it with it's in the heroin, uh, so it's it's laced with it, uh, and and the, here's the difficulty. You take the equivalent of seven grains of salt of this stuff and you ingest it. It will give you the most intense high you've ever had. Take nine grains and it will kill you. So it's incredibly concentrated and dangerous, impossible to dose correctly on the streets. And that's what's happening. People are dying from that, not knowing that that's in it. It's a sort of poisoning, in a way, of heroin with this super, super heroin. Uh, And... The trouble is you can't really control its arrival into the country because finding the tiny little needle in the haystack of this incredibly microscopic material through 500 million packages coming into the country every year, it comes directly often from China. You can get it on the dark web. So little of it is necessary that it can spread very quickly. And it give you an example of what's happening. In New Jersey, they, the police report that Three years ago, 2% of the heroin had fentanyl in it. Now that they seized, had fentanyl in it. Now 30% of it does. Many of these drugs have been lifesavers for people uh, who live with chronic pain. They've liberated people. And they're an important part of medicine right now, especially with chronic and acute pain. Uh, And I think I certainly don't mean to attach a stigma to this at all. Um, I just think that the, the, the majority of people who end up as addicts, 80% of them, did not get these pills through a regular prescription for an actual ailment. They got it from their family members who had these prescriptions and who shared them. So I do think the doctors overprescribing, and some of, some of them in the heartland were criminal in terms of the way they operated pill mills and got loads of people addicted. Part of it also happened because there was a, a demand in the 90s and early 2000s for pain to be removed entirely with these drugs. There was a belief you could use them without getting people addicted. And so too many people were put on these drugs for too long a time. Um, and, and that's what's happened. As I said earlier, like 780 million pills sent to West Virginia with only 1.8 million uh, is, how, where does that number come from? How, how is 780 million pills? Uh, how much? How they, this was sent to West Virginia over what period of time, Andrew Sullivan? Six years, 2006 to 2012, uh, and uh, it, it, it's it's largely because doctors let their patients down. It's largely because the doctors were also under extreme pressure to facilitate treatment more quickly because. There were pressures on them to be more efficient. And when someone comes in and say they have a pain, it's often the longest diagnosis you can have. It could be all sorts of things. Right. And, 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 it's and, much quicker to say, okay, take these pills. Andrew Sullivan, thank you for your contribution and for your enlightenment and your honesty on all of this, these issues. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.